0: My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stuart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. All right, so we are in uh, uh, Philippians chapter 1. Dave, we you go to the next slide for me? We're going to be looking at uh, Philippians 1, 6 through 7a today. Uh, if you're not familiar with how... Um, people who talk and write specifically about the Bible, piecemeal up individual Bible verses. Uh, The first part of a verse is called A, the next part is called B, the next part is called C. Usually those are denoted by commas, so uh, because of our exceedingly slow pace, uh, we will be using letters of the alphabet uh, to denote where we are in Philippians. Uh, So let's go ahead and read through Philippians chapter 1. I'll read the text out loud. And feel free to just hang out and listen Uh, If you want to read long, feel free, but uh, good morning and welcome to everybody online as well. So Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed by the defense of the gospel, The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of my coming again to you, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation, and this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you were engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have. Philippians chapter 1. So we're picking up today in page... Uh, 31 of our green book. Uh, If you need a copy of that it's at Um, OurSundaySchool.com We finished last week with verse 5. So let's go to the next slide here Dave and let's take a look at verses 6 and 7. So this is where we're at today. So I'm sure of this that he who started the good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Anybody ever heard this verse before? Yes. I would bet most of us have heard this verse referenced 20 or more times in sermons in the last five years. Like, this is a, like, talk about one that's easy to share on Facebook, right? And if you just just pluck this one out, it's actually not out of context. It's like, yay, finally, something you can do this with. Uh, Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart. Can you hear his his love for the Philippians? It's like, I have you in my heart. When was the last time you wrote somebody an email or a text or a letter and said, I have you in my heart? Not a phrase I use a lot, I'll be honest with you, right? Not quite how mathematicians talk. Um, And you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in defense and confirmation of the gospel. So this, Lord willing, we'll get to next week. But today is this beautiful text about what God is doing. So let's start with verse 6. On page 31, on your handout, and I will tell you, I have made a mistake. <gasps> should not surprise you in any way, shape, or form that we will find mistakes in the green book. So the first one is this Greek word, uh, autos, which is the next to last Greek word at the bottom of the page. It should actually be right after the word I in that sentence. I misplaced it. So I have an arrow from autos to the word I because I'm going to fix that in the next edition. Because the people who watch this, there's going to be like three of them in 20 years. They'll be like, what mistake? The only version I can find online is correct. It's like great. Well, Zeke's waterlogged version is in error, so don't go look at that one. There we go. All right, so verse 6. I am sure. Now, if you've read through Philippians more than once, you, you feel and sense this level of confidence that Paul has all the way through this letter. In this word uh, is in the perfect tense, which means this is action that has been finished in the past, that the result is continuing into the future. So this is, this is I have been sure, and I am now still sure. So it's not just sort of like, I'm, I'm cool with it right now. No, 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 this is a far larger time period that Paul is talking about here. So I am sure, this word means to convince, to assent, to rely on. Uh, it's used uh, five other times in Philippians, four of those The CSB translates it as confidence. One of those, it's translated as persuaded. All are well translated in their context. So I am sure of this. Now, if you're okay writing in the Green Book, underline the word this and put a question mark next to it. Because the way this text is constructed, we are not entirely sure and so let me, let me rewind, I got out of order here. Our English Bibles have tons and tons of stuff in them that help us see and interpret and in, understand the original language really, really well. And every once in a while, our English Bibles make a decision for us that could really go either way in the original language. So in the original language, there, were, there was no punctuation. In the original language, there were no spaces. All the words were just crammed together. In the original language, there were no lowercase letters. It was all just uppercase. So for those of you that get aggravated when somebody has uh, God as a lowercase h, it's a made-up thing, right? It's all just made up. So let's just not worry about that. Um, But we are not entirely sure. (laughs) That was funny. We're not entirely sure if this phrase, I am sure of this, if Paul is referring back to verse 5, or if he is referring to what is coming forward in verse 4. So let me read it a little differently in both directions. So just, just listen for a second. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, I am sure of this. Option A. Either... Paul is saying, I am sure of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Is that bad? No, like that's, that's good, right? This is very good. Cool. Option B, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Is that bad? No. Like neither one of those causes us any theological concerns whatsoever. Our English translations, however, put the verse division right before I am sure. And in our brains, that acts as a bit of a, uh, a meaning buffer, and it separates what comes before and what comes after, and it pushes that I am sure into the thought of the rest of verse 6. So maybe it is, or maybe it isn't. The general thrust of this first uh, this second pericope here, this Thanksgiving and prayer, verses three through 11, tends to be both looking back and looking forward. So the context itself doesn't help us very much because it includes both of those perspectives. So this is another one of those, and we mentioned it a few weeks ago, I forget exactly where it was. So your first application, uh, some texts are not grammatically limited to a single interpretation right? This one can actually go either way. And it's theologically all right that it can go either way. And if this bothers you immensely, (laughs) I promise you it doesn't bother you nearly as much as the guys who write commentaries on this. Because this one was about 55 or 60 pages of text that I read to try to figure out, to stand before you and say, we don't really know. So there we go. Yes, yeah, some texts are not grammatically limited to a single interpretation, which is wonky and long and awkward, just like I think this text is. So, so what do we do with that? Know them and don't trap ourselves ignorantly. So maybe, just maybe, you share Philippians 1, 3, through 5, and 6a on Facebook. Okay, it might go that way. Apart from what some of us have been told, uh, some of us many times, the Bible is not, in fact, always crystal clear on what something could mean or could be directed to, especially with a writer as gifted as Paul, whose sentence structure is, I don't have the adjective to describe it, it's long and unwieldy, and my senior English teacher in high school would have failed him had anybody written sentences that long and complicated, Mrs. Gray would not have passed the Apostle Paul. She does love Jesus, though, so there's cool. She's cool with that. She's cool with that. All right, so whether, whether this word looks back to how God has empowered the Philippians to partner with Paul in the gospel or whether this word looks forward to how God will commit to complete the work that he is doing in the Philippians, your second application on this page, Christians are confident in God and his work. Either way, we can say praise God for what he is doing and how he is doing it with these people. It's like, okay, this does not shake my faith here if it modifies this or that. It's great. So what do we do with that? Communicate our confidence in God and his work. I I fear that we communicate far too often a lack of confidence in the sovereignty of God. And has this series by Brian not just been refreshing? Oh, my goodness. I told him, I'm going to tell you guys just so I have some accountability here. I told him I was going to get a, uh, I have a transcription company that I work with that sometimes when when I need something that I heard on it, like transcribed, I send it to them and they just transcribe it real quick. And it's, it's actually pretty cheap. I told them I was going to have all of these sermons transcribed and put it up into a book because it was it's been that beneficial for me. Like I want a copy of it. And if anybody else benefits, that's fine. But it's been it's been a salve to a weary soul. So let's communicate our confidence in God and his work. All right. So let's keep going. So I am sure of this that he who started a good work in use. Let's get verse, look at the, uh, page 32. That he who started. Now there's no Greek word for the English word he here. The subject is borrowed from the verb, and the verb is a singular masculine verb, which means there is one person at work here, right? So this one person is who? This is God. This is God. I think it's God. The one person is who? God. God. Thank you very much. This one person is God. So He who started a good work in you. This word for start is to commence, and He does this alone. Did God look at us and go, "Ooh, boy," like, I, like that's, that's a treasure right there. I can, like, oh. He, Shanda is so good, like, I have to save her because she is so good. And we can do, is that how, no, that's not what God did. God looked at us and he went, Jim is so terrible, like Charles Barkley, terrible. That, like, I am going to lavish him with my love. I am going to start a good work in him and it will be up to God to finish that work. And when we start to get in this mindset of like, well, I need to help God. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, break my teeth in my mouth, oh God. He who started alone a good work. So what's our application here? God initiates. God initiates. And heaven help us when we think that we are the one that has initiated our salvation. And if you want to come back with, well, yeah, but I repented and believed. Who convicted you? Who drew you? Who gave you the gift of repentance? Who gave you the gift of belief? Who allowed you to participate in his... I mean, it's like, come on, come on, come on. He who started a good work in you. So God initiates. So what do we do with that? We follow his lead. This is what servants of Christ Jesus do. Servants follow. Servants obey. All right, Dave, let's go forward two slides here. So he who started a good work in you. So flip over to page 11 in your green notebooks the Greek word is in. You know how it's pronounced? In. You know where it is in the circle? In. You know what it means? In. It's the simplest Greek word you'll ever learn. <laughs> the only challenge is it's sometimes in Greek spelled with an E. So, like, don't worry about that. But it, it is what it looks like it is, right? It means In. So, he who started a good work in you. He didn't start a good work around you. Okay? He didn't start a good work on top of you. He started a good work in you. Is that crazy or what? Like, the God who formed you in your mother's womb also started a good work inside you. We get really amped up on Right to Life Sunday about, like, it. God made the people. This is good. And I, I think that's fantastic. God did make people. But that wasn't where his creative work ended. He put something inside of us, a good work inside of us, so that that could then be worked out. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. He didn't, he didn't say, I put a good work through you. This is not dia, right? It's not like, I'm going to touch base and here. No, 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 no in you. This is gorgeous. It's like, ah. but Jim, Yes, sir. I mean, so he started with that. Yes, before. yes. I, I think about it as a baby. Like, in a sense, and all that. But Why would you be thinking about a baby right now? Like, <laughs> yeah. what in the world? Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> but that was just the start. Yes, that's right. Sometimes, yes. Sometimes. So, even if we're saying, like, he started his work in you and will carry on through completion, we don't necessarily follow through what he intends to do. Like, so, does this verse imply it's up to us or up to him? Well, and that's the question. no, no. no. Look then, at the text. Like, does this so verse so imply. Yes, he will. That's right. Based on the text, he will start and he will finish. That's exactly right. Despite our best efforts to disobey. Like, I would actually argue this is the story of the Bible. How God uses disobedient people to accomplish his glory and his purpose despite their sinful nature. Like, to me, that is what the Bible is. If he started, he will finish. Like, and I am so thankful. I can't finish it. <laughs> he didn't say, like, all right, Jim, I'm going to start this, and it's up to you now. You've got it. You've got the reins. Nope, which is wonderful. This is like, this is as comforting a thought. Oh my goodness, this is great. Yes, Miss Sherry. In Corinthians, it says we are a new creation. That's exactly right. Yeah. You know why we're new? At salvation, accepting what Jesus did. Yes. At salvation, accepting what Jesus did, God started a good work in us. Right? And just... So I love how you said this, Danus, because every time you mentioned the work, you called it a good work. Every time, without exception. That is biblical, my friend. Well done because that's the word that's in here, agathos. This is a good work. He didn't just start some random things. Like, you know, when you hear the, the deist say that God's the clockmaker and he wound it all up and let it go. Like, no, 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 no. He started a good work. He can't do anything but good work. Like, I go to work sometimes and I produce a sloppy product. And I look at it and I'm like, that is awful. I should be able to do better than this. God has never once looked at his work and said that was awful, that was terrible. It has only been flawless, it has only been good. And he put it in us. Oh, how wonderful is this? What kind of an amazing good God does this? So that's application number two. Can Let's go to the next slide? I feel purple right now. There we go, good. Uh, Y'all online know what I'm talking about, because as soon as that, as soon as the preposition circle comes up, I turn into a purple, like, uh, who's the, Barney? Is that, Barney, yeah, okay, there we go. I I, I don't think I paid attention during the Sesame Street era, so it was whatever. Was that even, it's not even Sesame Street, yeah, okay, see? (laughs) Exhibit A, your honor, there you go, right? All right, application number two down here, God's work in Christians is good. God's work in Christians is good. You could just say God's work is good, but specifically here, his work in Christians is good. So what do we do with that? Share his good works. Tell others like Paul did. Now, lest we fall into the hyper-Americanized version of Christianity, uh, I do want to make sure that we see what kind of you is at the bottom of page 32. Because if If Jim, when I was 15, had been translating, if I knew Greek at 15, I didn't know Greek at 15. If I'd been translating this at 15, God started a good work in y'all. That's how it would have come out. Because the "u" is plural. And this is one of the things that I really, I just, this is like the single most positive thing about the King James Version of the Bible ever because the these and the thous and the ye's and the yous meant something grammatically. One was plural, one was singular. And if you knew that, you knew how to take these things. In our modern English translations, it just says in you. And you're like, well, if I put my America hat on, then it's me individual. If I put my Christian hat on, then it's this community. And it's actually this community. So God is doing a good work in the Philippian believing community. So it's not just the individual, it is also the community. Like, what? Yes, this is good. (laughs) All right, so God, he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion. This word is a future indicative a future indicative is a future declaration of a fact, something that is going to happen in the future. So, somebody give me a, a true future indicative. Death. Death. You sure? <laughs> so, Jesus will return. How do we know that? The Bible tells me so. I will posit. That the only future indicatives that we can say with fact come from the scripture. Now, you've heard it said that death and taxes are guaranteed. If Jesus comes back right now, no more death, no more taxes. Booyah. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, right? <laughs> Sorry, but I, it, we, we'll be, we'll be, I love your quick response. That's all right. That's exactly right. That's all right. All right, so this word, to carry it on to completion, means to fulfill further. It means, it means there's something that's been done so far, but something is left to be done. So you've got a hole, and half of it's filled in, but we need to put more in that. Like we're just, there's, there's activity, but there needs, there's more activity to go. Uh, Dr. Keown says this. Let's go to the next slide here, Dave. <clears throat> he says, Paul... In a Roman prison demonstrates to them what true faith under pressure looks like. Undiminished confidence in the Lord despite the circumstances. Because remember, Paul is chained up when he writes this. Do you think Paul's focus is on the chains? No. Paul's focus is on the one who is going to uh, unburden him from those chains. So he who started a good work and you, let's go to the next slide, Dave, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You're like, well, what in the world does the day of Christ Jesus have to do with anything? All right, so a couple of applications here. Uh, One, what God starts, God finishes. He has never left anything undone. Like that's a staggering statement. I don't know how many to-do lists I have created in my life or reminders. My new favorite activity is when a reminder pops up on my phone is to ignore it. <laughs> and I set the reminder, like, this end up not taking my medicine for the day. It's like, good grief, it's ridiculous. What God starts, God finishes. So what do we do with that? Trust Him to finish. Because He's going to. <laughs> it's beautiful, beautiful work. And He's going to carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, You're like we mean until the day of Christ Jesus. Yes, ma'am? Well, I was thinking about that. Just, I think it's not only it trusting him to finish, but allowing him to finish. I think that's the biggest stumbling block, I kind know of for me. Allowing him to finish. Correct. He, to complete his full work and what he's trying to accomplish in us, just gonna, we just got to. To not get in his way. Correct. Yeah. 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 The. Uh, one of the most sobering thoughts I ever heard from a preacher was uh, God's going to make you look like Jesus even if he has to kill you to do it. And he will. <laughs> like, that's ultimately how he succeeds. Um, but he will finish his work. <laughs> and even in that, that is a kindness. This still to me is one of the probably four or five things that I felt like I learned the most from Grudem's systematic theology is that gift, death is a gift to the believer. Determination of suffering, determination of pain, determination of lack of perfect faith and hope and love, it's just gorgeous. But back to this concept about until the day of Christ Jesus, um, I, I don't know how to say this, but this is going to be close. So. God's calendar is focused on our Lord Jesus Christ. Like, He was the word at the beginning who spoke creation. He's the savior given to the world. He's the perfect sacrifice on the cross. He's coming again, even though he doesn't know the date, the calendar still revolves around Jesus. It's like, that's pretty cool. Feels to me like if God sets his calendar around Jesus, we ought to pay attention to that. That's pretty amazing. So what do we do with that? Recognize there is no one like our Lord Jesus Christ. My abbreviation is O-L-J-C, by the way. So recognize there is no one like our Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on in verse 7. Indeed, page 34. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you. Now, the crazy thing is later on in Philippians, in Philippians 4, 8, Paul tells these brothers and sisters, he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and is there anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. He tells them to do it after he models for them that he has actually done it. And as a parent, I almost never do it in that order. <laughs> it's the, I need you to do this, and I'm going to show you how. But Paul, in specifically in Philippians, there's so many times where he models it before he directs it. This, this is like next level kind of communication here. So indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you. So this word for think is to exercise the mind. I have a question in my notes. How do we we exercise our minds? With right thinking? This word think means to interest oneself in. What What am I interested in? Am I interested in thinking rightly about all of you? Or am I interested in consuming something for my own enjoyment? This word think uh, is phreneo, it's, the, it's like the, the skull area. Uh, you, the English word is, I think it's phrenology, the study of the bumps on the head, which I'm just saying, I don't ever want to get into that. Like, I, don't, I don't want to touch your head, so like, I'm out, not interested at all in that kind of thing. Uh, and I don't want anybody touching my head, so like nope, I'm, I'm done. No, no thank you very much. But if you look at how often at the bottom of page 34 this word think shows up in Philippians, in 1.7, twice in 2.2, in 2.5, twice in 315, in 3.19, in 4.2, twice in 410. Like this is this is a significant theme in the letter to the Philippians. Thinking. So application here, there are right ways to think about Christians. So there are right ways to think about Christians. So what do we do with that? We think rightly about other believers. How do I engage? How do I participate? How do I I pray for? How do I care about you? And it's not just just any way. There is a demonstrative demonstrative pronoun. uh, That word this, hutas, at the top of page 35. This is a very specific way that Paul is... Thinking about here now, the CSB translates this preposition "uper" as uh, "about." I would, I would just gently push back a little bit. Let's go to the next slide, Dave, uh, because this "uper" is actually the word "over." He is thinking this way over them. You remember earlier in Philippians, he was praying over them. He is thinking over them, like they are the object of his affection. And how encouraging would that have been? Like if, if you got a letter from somebody that meant something to you in your spiritual walk and you know that they were struggling and that they were in a hard-pressed, difficult place and they write you a letter and they say, I'm praying for you and I'm thinking about you. Like your th- first thought might be, what? We're worried about you, man. Like, what do you need? We've been sending Epaphroditus, like, he's, he's wore out. We have wore the boy out, running up and back and forth to Rome. And, like, what do you need? And Paul's saying, I'm praying for you. I'm praying over you. I'm thinking over you. This is beautiful. This is beautiful. Let's go to the next slide, Dave. I'm thinking this way about some of you, because some of you I like more than others. Is that what he says? No, all of you. All shows up 33 times in Philippians. It's four chapters. How many times can you use the same dang word? 33 times in four chapters? That is a lot. One of the commentaries says that Paul is just beating on this drum of unity over and over and over. And soaked in the pages of this text is you are together. You are together. You are one. You are one. You are unified. You are, you are, to-. like this is. You've got to hold it together, because where are they? They're not in Rome, but they might as well be in Rome. They're in Philippi, where Caesar is Lord. And they needed encouragement, and Paul was there for it, and I love it. And we actually today got through the text I wanted to get through. So that's one for seven. Um, (laughs) So there we go. All right, so we'll pick up, Lord willing, next week uh, in the middle of page 35 there with the word because. Which is actually not the word because, but we'll talk about that too. So, all right, so on your tables you should have a weekly update. Uh, So be praying for the prayer requests there. Um, I believe most of you should be aware. We're not going to get into a conversation about this right now. But uh, most of you should be aware that uh, Colleen Barron's daughter died this last week. Uh, so the funeral is going to be this coming Saturday at the Chattanooga campus. Uh, so let us lean in and engage and, uh, and love on Miss Colleen and her family, because this is just incredibly difficult. Um, so if you've got other prayer requests, please list those. Uh, pray as a table. And then you are free to go... And to worship the one who will complete the good work that he started in you. 100%. Guaranteed. I've got a fantasy football draft that I'm doing this afternoon at 1 o'clock. 100% guaranteed. I'm going to draft some duds. 100%. 100% guaranteed God will finish what he started. The good work in you and in us. So let's go worship him for it. Thanks, guys. Thanks for engaging, and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, and weekly email. You can subscribe to all three of those at OurSundaySchool.com. Grace and peace to you.